take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. The song spoke about everything being stripped away, and even when that happens, that God would still be our treasure. And um, of course, there's a lot of ways that we can have things stripped away. Sometimes it's our health, sometimes economically. Uh, we, we can struggle financially. We can struggle. Sometimes we can live in a nation where, as we talked about last week, things are being shaken. And, and it's exactly what we talked about. And uh, that was even more timely with some of the events of, of this week. We're just seeing that our nation is be, being shaken. And I saw uh, a pastor friend of mine who, who said uh, that he said, I, I belong to two nations, two countries, and one of them is being shaken uh, today. And uh, we, we're thankful then to the Lord that we have a, a country that is not of this world. We have a homeland that is not of this world. And we have a nation, we belong to a people uh, that are not going to be shaken. And so we, we delight in that this morning, even as we uh, grieve and, and, and it grieves us to see the turmoil in our nation and everything that's happening and we ought to be praying for our nation it doesn't make us cold and uncaring about what's happening around us we ought to care about those things uh, and yet we do so even as we talk about um, you know death when we grieve as as Christians we say we don't grieve as other people grieve who have no hope and it's the same thing when we see turmoil around us uh, certainly we grieve about it and it saddens us but we don't grieve as those who have no hope we, we have a, a nation and a land uh, that is a heavenly city, and that's where our hopes are tied. Hebrews chapter 13, that was just the pre-sermon, so sorry about that. Uh, pre, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. We are coming to sort of the closing of the letter of Hebrews. We've been in it for a while, and as with most letters, uh, as the authors get to the end, they give some of the practical applications, the calls to obedience and so forth, uh, and very practical applications that would be applied in the daily lives of believers and in the life of the congregation. Uh, and most of the letters... Uh, th those things are, are pretty, uh, pretty much the, sh the same. There's calls to love, there's calls to forgiveness, there's calls to faithfulness, and, and so forth. And the book of Hebrews, um, uh, although it's different in some ways than some of the other letters of the New Testament, is, is not unique in that, that it does have this closing sort of applicational section. And it is here, we see primarily in these three verses, a call for us to brotherly love. We are to love one another. I want to talk this morning about Christian love or brotherly love in an evil age. What we know from the New Testament and from, from Scripture is that love is not a tangential issue uh, for Christians, but it is at the very heart and the essence of what it means to be a Christian. 
This is not just one thing that's sort of down the road from our Christianity and it's like, oh yeah, and, and we should maybe love people too. But, but that really isn't the central or the main thing. No, when we come to the New Testament, what we see over and over again from the teaching of Christ to, to every one of these letters written to New Testament churches, we, we see them uh, being called to love. And so it's not something that is tangential there are very many reasons that we are called to love in scripture the first and foremost being that we are called to reflect God's holy character God is love love is from God <clears throat> and that and as the apostle John says if we've been born of God and we know God then we are to love we are to reflect his holy character and his love the second most important I would say call to love is based on the work of Christ, Christ's redemption for us. If God loved us so much, as John 3.16 said, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believed in him might not perish but have everlasting life, if God did that in order to display his love, then how can we as recipients of that wonderful act of love not be loving people? And so there's the call based on God's redemptive act of love in Jesus Christ. And then there is just the clear command. We're disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord and Master, and he has commanded us to love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And he goes on to say that it is by that love for one another, for other believers, that the world will, will know that we are his followers so there is no sense in which then we can be God's people born of God people who know God people who are following Christ people who have been redeemed by the love of God and not be a loving people it's at the heart and the, and the essence of Christianity but this morning I want us to see that there is an eminently practical reason for love as well in addition to all of those other things that I've mentioned Namely, this kind of brotherly love that we're called to provides the, the, the family-like community that is needed by Christ's followers who have been called out of the world to follow him even if it means that they will be rejected by their own family. You see, Jesus is very clear when, when we follow him, truly follow him, I'm not, I'm not talking about when you go to church or when you're religious, but when you truly give your life to follow Christ, it will come at a price. Because Jesus calls us out of the world, he tells us that the world will hate us. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then they would love you. But because I, you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And what we need to understand this morning for, for the purposes of what we're looking at is that isn't ta talking about just people who are out there in the world at large, people who are far off and distant from our everyday life. No, that hatred for believers, hatred for followers of Christ will often come uh, by those who are very near and dear to us. In fact, Jesus warned again and again that even... even our own families at, time, at times would reject those who follow Christ. So in Matthew 10, when he's sending his disciples out, 
He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And he goes on to say in this passage, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he goes on in that passage as well and says that a person's enemies, a person's foes will be those of his own household. So following Christ comes at this cost that that at times the world is going to hate us. They're they're going to despise us. They're not going to like us for what we believe, for what we teach, for the the things that we hold to. And, And it isn't just the people that are far off and distant, but sometimes it's going to be even our very families, our mothers and fathers, our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters. This is why Jesus goes on to teach that our commitment to him must supersede all familial relationships. You you have to be willing to follow Christ and and love him and want him more than anything else, more than any other relationship on this earth. That's why when people came to Jesus and they're going to follow him, Jesus says uh, to them, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Why would Jesus say that? Well, he's, he's, he's not saying here that we need to hold animosity and resentment and hatred of that kind of nature in our heart toward our family. But what he's saying is that you are going to have to, at times, be willing to prefer and choose Jesus over even your own mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, and sometimes even over your own life. And if you really want to follow me, Jesus is saying, that's, that's the way that it has to be. In Matthew 10, 38, that passage I was reading earlier, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so Jesus has to be preeminent even over the closest of familial relationships in our life. He he is teaching that we cannot hold even these closest people in our lives. We cannot hold them in higher regard than Christ. We must be willing to prefer or to choose Christ even over our closest family. See, the reality is if you allow room for anything above Christ, then you won't follow Christ. If you allow room for anything above Christ, then ultimately you will not follow Christ. If you, if you prioritize even family before Christ, then Satan will use your family to keep you from following Christ. He has to be preeminent. He has to be first. Now there are times, and many of us have, have lived in lives where that commitment hasn't cost us. Hopefully, hopefully all of you really have that commitment where Jesus is first even above your own family. But, but many times that doesn't cost us. But there will be times, uh, and, and there are times even now, uh, there will be times when it will cost us relationships. 
When, when our following Christ, when our commitment to Christ, our, our willingness to, to not turn away from him or, or, or not to, to twist the truth or, or give up certain things that Jesus teaches, there, there will be times when that is going to cause a fissure, when it's going to cause a, a breaking within some of our familial relationships. And, and if we're going to follow Christ, we've got to be willing for those things to happen. There will be some children, perhaps even some of our children, we pray that it not be, but there may be some children who will embrace a lifestyle of sin and expect us to affirm it or else they want nothing to do with us, right? And, and I'm not merely talking about sexuality, although that's a, a big one in our day and time, but, but parents, are you willing to be at that point? Are you willing to follow Christ, uh, e even if it means that your children say, if you believe that, if you go to that church, if you, if you follow that kind of teaching, I want nothing to do with you. Would you follow Christ in that? You've got to be willing to do that. Listen, we're, we're, in, we're in new times. Things are changing ever so rapidly, and we've got to be prepared or we will not persevere in the faith. Parents in, in past generations, it may have been that you worried that your children would go off to college and come back just kind of doubting Christianity, doubting what, what the faith that you tried to, to teach to them. But, but now the concern will increasingly become that your children will come back from college and say, Mom and Dad, if you believe that, you're evil. And, and I don't want anything to do with you. That's a very real possibility for me and, and for all of us. There will be some parents who will resent your commitment to Christ and feel that somehow you're dishonoring them by following Jesus or that following Jesus somehow has changed you in a negative way and they, they, they sort of push you away and don't want much to do with you. You've got to be willing to endure that. This is why Jesus gives a very sweet promise in Matthew 10:29 He says, "Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You notice in, in that promise, he's saying, if you are willing to, to leave those behind, if you're willing to forsake those, even those closest family relationships, for my sake, he, he says, finally there, you will inherit eternal life. But he says, now even in this life, you, you will receive not only eternal life in the future, but in this time, uh, you will receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. What, what does he mean that you'll receive a hundredfold? Well, he certainly doesn't mean uh, that we'll per personally possess a hundred times everything that we give up in our life, as if, you know, if I give up my house, then God will give me a hundred houses. That, uh, I don't think that's the, the point of it. Some uh, see it simply as uh, that what, whatever we give up for Christ what we gain is, is a hundredfold greater uh, and more valuable in terms of value. And that certainly is true. 
But I think this is what he's saying. I, I think he's saying that when we willingly follow the call of discipleship, especially at great personal cost of, of losing family relationships, when that's, what, when that's what Christ requires of us, God will replace what you've lost in other relationships. He will fill the void in a way that greatly exceeds the loss. When you lose brothers and sisters because of Christ, you will gain brothers and sisters in Christ. When you lose brothers and sisters because of Christ, you will gain brothers and sisters in Christ. When you follow Christ and, and it costs you your relationship with your parents, God will give you many fathers and many mothers in the faith. And this is precisely what Jesus teaches in, in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, he, he teaches this idea that we as disciples really do become family. We, we become his brothers and sisters. So you remember when uh, Jesus is there teaching and his mothers and his mother and his brothers come to him and they, they're saying, bring Jesus out. What is he? He's got these crowds of people. He's losing his mind. We, we need to come and take him back home and talk some sense into him. And so they come to get him. And, and he replied, though, the people said, hey, your parents are out here. Your, your mother is out here and your brothers and, and they're here to get you. And Jesus responded, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus taught this, this whole idea that, that we become his brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And as we come, become united to Christ in that way, then we share a familial bond, a spiritual bond as well. So, so what we notice in that passage, first of all, is that, that Jesus did what he commanded us to do, right? He said, look, if you want to follow me, you may have to forsake your father and mother and so forth. But that's what, if that's what it requires, that's what you need to do. And notice that's what Jesus does in that passage. He does what he requires of us. When his parents or his mother came and his brothers came to, to try to stop him from, from doing this work that God had given to him to do, to teach and, and, and to redeem his people, he, he says, look, you, I'm not going with you. There's a greater work that I've got to do. And these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. But we also see there that Jesus elevated his followers to the closest of all family relationships. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. And because we are brothers and sisters of Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I, we have a very real spiritual bond. That's what Jesus is teaching there. So why am I going through this teaching? And, and, and when we're in Hebrews chapter 13, you're like, did you just look at the wrong text today? Are you, you off? Well, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm sort of doing all this groundwork is because these commands to show brotherly love and practice hospita hospitality come specifically in the context of suffering and persecution. This is clear in the light uh, of the fact that he urges them in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 3. He urges them to remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them. 
And we remember as well, uh, just a, a few, maybe a couple months ago now, at this point when we were in, in Hebrews chapter 10, where, where he talks about the fact that these Hebrew believers had suffered. He said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, but recall the former days when you were enlightened and you endured a hard struggle with suffering sometimes being publicly exposed to repro reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So when he commands them here to to continue in brotherly love. And when he commands them to practice hospitality with one another, and when he commands them in these verses to go and to visit those who are in prison as though in prison with them, he, he's doing that in light of the fact that they are enduring persecution. The, the command to love them, uh, to love one another, is given in light of persecution that would have certainly included being cut off from parts or all of their natural family, and is therefore God's means of fulfilling his promise to repay a hundredfold those who are willing to forsake family in order to follow Christ. You see, that's what, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's commanding them, hey, these people are suffering for the gospel. They're, they're following me. They've been willing to go to prison for me. They, they've been willing to lose their family relationships for me. And so you all are their brothers and sisters. Don't forget them. Let brotherly love continue in light of this reality. Their brothers and sisters are not going to visit them in, in jail. They're going to forget their suffering. But you, as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't forget them. Let brotherly love continue. Remember them. Visit them. Think about them as though you are in prison with them. Let brotherly love continue. Do you see, that is God's means of fulfilling that promise that when you forsake brothers and mothers and, and houses and lands, that, that he will restore that a hundredfold. We are God's answer to prayer, that prayer. We are God's fulfillment of that promise. In addition to rightly understanding the meaning of this passage, I think this background and having that in our mind is is significant for us because we as true Christians are likely to face increasing tension and perhaps rejection by unbelieving family. Listen, it's, it's coming and, and it's getting worse and, and following Christ is going to cost you. There was a time in, in our country, in our land, there, there was a time, and certainly we praise God that to a degree we are still enjoying that. I don't want to be overly pessimistic, right? But there was a time when following Christ was actually a positive thing. It could maybe find you a new business and job opportunities, but, but that time is gone, and, and, and this th whole thing is shifting in another direction, and what is going to happen is that it's going to cost you big time to follow Christ. It's going to cost you in terms of social capital. It's going to cost you in terms of being ostracized and pushed push to the margins of society, and listen, it may cost you in terms of family relationships. And it's because of that, and in light of that, as we look at this text, I think we need to remember that, that we need this kind of loving community, this, 
this brotherly love all the more in that kind of context, right? All the more uh, when, when we are rejected and marginalized by society. So what does this loving community look like? Let's think about for just a few minutes here the characteristics of loving Christian community. Notice what he says here, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. This is the word that, um, as it's translated there, there, there are various words in, in the Greek. Some of them speak of romantic love, more, more sensual love. Some of them speak to uh, selfless love, agape, brotherly love. This is the word where we get the city Philadelphia. It's phileo. Uh, and, and that's just what it means. It's, it's kind of a family love. It's a, it's a love here, what we're commanded, that, that makes family out of non-family. It makes family out of non-family. It welcomes those who have no natural bond or connection to us as though they did. You know, f familial bonds are, are so strong. Even in a fallen and sinful world, they're, they're so strong. We, we just seem inclined to love our family, don't we? Most, most of us, right? We, uh, or most of our family. We, we feel inclined to love them. There's a natural kind of pool there. There are obviously many examples when, when that's not the case, but ordinarily it's not hard to love your family. It doesn't seem foreign uh, as other uh, impulses do. It, it just seems natural to us. We, we, we almost have a desire to want to love our, our family. There, there's a shared DNA there, right? And, and on top of that, there are shared life experiences that, that make love for our family seem natural. But granting that kind of love to outsiders doesn't seem natural, does it? For most of us, that, that does not come naturally. Typically, we, we kind of have a guard up. We have a, a barrier that's placed that, that keeps people from getting too close, right? We do not naturally grant this kind of familial love to non-family, but that's precisely what we're commanded to do here. Let brotherly love continue. We are commanded here to let our guard down, to open up our arms, and to welcome followers of Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ, into the space that we normally reserve for family. This bond has some, or this command has some basis in, in reality, this, this command to have brotherly love. I mentioned that physical connection that we have with our natural biological family, right? Uh, there is a physical connection there. But there is a real, even though it's a spiritual, yet a real bond between followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we've been adopted by God into his family. Calvin said the Lord has bound them together closer by the, by the common bond of of adoption. We've been adopted into God's family. We are sons and daughters of God, and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so Christ, Christ is not commanding here something that is foreign to reality. Notice here, though, that this is a, a specific kind of familial love. As I mentioned, there are some words that uh, in, in the Greek language that speak to uh, um, a more sensual type of love. Uh, eros is, is that word. Uh, and in the early church, Christians were, were often wrongly accused 
uh, because they had this kind of love for one another and because they were so close, because sometimes their family did reject them, and so they went into the family of the church, right? Uh, sometimes when people were smearing the church, they, they would speak of them in, in ways that implied that something sexual was going on. Uh, they talked about their, their feast that they would have as, as love feast. You know, when the world sees non-family extending love toward each other, they often imagine that there must be something sinister going on, right? They, they don't have a category for people who would love one another in that way. Because the way the world loves, it's always, I want something in return. I, I, I want you to give me something if I'm going to love you. But it, within the body of Christ, this is a, a, a love that is pure and it is a love that is freely given. Various cults have practiced immorality within their community. And listen, as, as a church, we need to safeguard sexual purity even as we persevere in the, these loving relationships, right? True Christians throughout church history and especially in our time have been guilty of allowing the familiarity that comes through this brotherly love devolve into something that is sinful and wrong. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he, he warns him. He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so we need to, to guard that. This is brother, brotherly love. But notice also it's a persevering love. He says, let brotherly love continue. Now, we saw in chapter 10, right, that they had already expressed a great deal of love. They had already been visiting these brothers in, in prison. They, they'd already been suffering with them and identifying with them. But, but now the, the writer of Hebrews urges them, let that continue. Let, let it continue to go on. You see, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is, is perseverance. But not only is he calling them to persevere in faith, but also in their love for others. You know, our love for others is directly tied to our relationship with Christ. And the person who abandons his love for Christ also abandons his love for Christ's followers. And so the writer here urges them, let brotherly love continue. Persevere in that. Continue to follow Christ. Continue to believe and trust in Christ. Yes, but continue to express that love for Christ's followers as well. There's a natural temptation for us to allow our love to fade, for us to allow our love to grow cold. That's just a reality, isn't it? Our love, our, our affection for one another just tends to wane over time. It, it, it begins to lessen over time. Donald Guthrie says the fact that readers are urged to continue suggests that there might have been a tendency for them to neglect this basic requirement of mutual understanding. And Calvin says the precept is general, is general, in general is very needful for nothing flows away so easily as love. Isn't that true? Nothing flows away so easily as as love there, there can be this bond there can be this love there can be this this affection and then it just evaporates it seems it, it just 
goes away. We're, we're so fickle, right? We're, we're, we're just that way as people. And so we need to be continually urged. It isn't good enough that I used to love these people. It isn't good enough that I, that I once went and visited them in prison. It isn't good enough that I cared for them at one time. No, no, I need to continue that love. I need to persevere in that love. Nothing flows away so easily as love. Why is this the case? Well, first of all, we're, we're sinful people. And when we begin, as Christians even, when we begin to walk in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit, that love is just going to go, right? Lo love is a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul urges us in, in Galatians then, walk in the Spirit. And as you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be producing all of these fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and so forth. You're going to produce those if you're walking in the Spirit. But if you begin walking in the flesh and, and fueling and feeding your sinful desires, feeding your sin nature, that love is going to evaporate. And that's so often what happens in churches. Even, even once... Uh, even though there was once strong bonds, even though there were once close relationships, if, if you don't continue to walk in the Spirit, if you don't continue to persevere in that and, and put to death the deeds of the flesh and get rid of your sinful desires, if you do not continue to do that, your love will fade away. Let brotherly love continue. Walk in the Spirit, then that you will produce that fruit the other reason is, listen, there are just many challenges to love. Are there not? There are just a lot of challenges. Y'all are hard to love. And, and I'm hard to love too. We're all sinners. And we do things and we say things and we have different perspective on things. And it's just so easy to allow those offenses and those annoyances and those problems and those difficulties to pile up year after year after year and, and we just begin to take a step. Ah, man, she said that to me and I just didn't really like that. I'm just going to take a step away. and That hurt and well, I don't really like the way they talk about this or, you know, I just don't agree with people on this and so I'm just stepping away from them for various reasons and, and it just begins with, with those small steps and, and we don't resolve issues, we, we don't seek forgiveness, we don't seek restoration, we just let those things fester and you turn around after a period of time and you're just like, I just don't, I don't love those people, I, I don't want to be around them, I don't really want anything to do with them. The old term or the old expression, familiarity breeds contempt is so true. It's so true. And brothers and sisters, that's what we cannot allow to happen within our body. We cannot allow those small offenses to go unchecked and unresolved. We, we cannot allow our differences to drive us apart. Scripture commands us here. And, and again, this is not something that's tangential. It's not something that's down the road or, or sort of less of lesser importance. This is central to what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's at the heart of it. If you don't have this, Jesus is saying, this is an identifying marker of my followers that they love each other. And one of the saddest things that I'm seeing in our nation, even as we see our nation divided, I'm seeing, and, and, and I think I'm just going to have to get off social media. I, I probably am wasting too much time on that anyway. But, but you just see Christians, people that I know are brothers and sisters in Christ who seem to have a hatred for each other. And it's wrong. 
Let brotherly love continue. And that may mean that we've got to th put things to the side that we hold as really important. I'm, I'm not saying don't hold them as important. I I'm not saying give them up or cast them aside. What I'm saying is don't let them be an impediment to you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let brotherly love continue. It's a persevering love. It's a hospitable love. This kind of love is a love that welcomes strangers into your family, into your home, in, into your life. This, this command here, do not neglect to show hospitality. The word hospitality is, is actually uh, just literally means uh, love for strangers. Love for those who are sort of on the outside. Like I talked about before, we, we have no problem, most of us, with, with loving our family. But people outside of that, we're very guarded. We don't let them in that. But, but here we're commanded to pra practice hospitality, which again is this notion of bringing people in and treating them like family. Welcoming, welcoming, ugh. sending them a welcome in, uh, to, into your family, into your life. That was bad. <laughs> Here we see one of the very practical ways. In fact, I would say maybe the most practical way that we can express this brotherly love is by practicing hospitality. And it's one thing to see people at church and smile at them and shake their hand and tell them you appreciate them. It's, it's, it's one thing to send cards to them. You know, hey, appreciate you remembering them those those are all good things it's one thing to see them out at walmart or at bills on the hill and wave at them and say hello and pass them on the road and wave those are all good things and i would commend them it's a very it, it's a whole nother thing to welcome them into your life to treat them like family welcome them into your home and that's what we're commanded to do here practice brotherly love it's it's a hospitable love it's no wonder that hospitality is so rarely practiced in our world. Our, our world is characterized by hatred and apathy toward others. But the church of Jesus Christ cannot be that way. You know, I think we a lot of times make excuses uh, at why we refuse to obey this command. None of them are valid, right? None of the excuses that we give for, for not welcoming people in, I said it, not welcoming people into our homes. But at the bottom line, the, the bottom line is this, that all of those excuses really come down to a failure to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as we ought. You, you can say whatever you want about your house not being right or the time not being right, but, but when you fail to welcome people into your home and to practice hospitality, at, at bottom, it is a failure to love them. I guarantee you, there's not a parent here who says, you know, kids to their own natural children, like, y'all don't come over, right? M maybe there are some of you, but, but I, I know this. I know my mom's got special tables and couches and doesn't want people to sit on things and, and so forth and so on. And, and our kids, I, I don't know, I try, but our kids are the roughest, loudest, bumping things around, and you try to tell them, not to do that, but they still do it, and they spill things. And But my mom, never for a second would she be like, maybe don't come over, right? This is the house. 
we'll meet you somewhere else. We'll, we'll go to a third location and, and we'll meet you there. No, no, no. She welcomes us because we are family, right? She, she has that kind of love for us. And that's what, that's what we're commanded to have here for each other. This, this kind of love that, that welcomes into our life and into our home. As our culture goes away from God and sometimes family bonds will break down. Scripture says that the love of many will grow cold. This kind of loving community that practices hospitality is going to be all the more important. You inviting others into your home will be the means that God uses to replace the homes that have been lost by those who have made that sacrifice for Christ. It is a hospitable, hospitable love. Finally, this morning, it is a sympathetic love. It is a sympathetic love. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Verse number three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. The act of going to visit someone in prison here seems strange to us. It's an act that was more than just having a prison ministry, right? I've seen prison ministries that take this text and, and use that and praise God for prison ministries. They're needful. I've participated in some of them in the past. I would encourage any of you who would uh, want to take that up, but I don't think that's what this is primarily talking about is just going to visit random prisoners in, in, in jail. That's a good thing. I think what this is talking about is these believers uh, who, for the cause of Christ, have been in prison at least for some time. And he's saying, don't forget them. You, you were going to visit them, and that was a good thing. Let that brotherly love continue. Go to them. Don't forget them. Go, go and think about them. Remember them as though you are in prison with them. And that, that's, that's that exhortation there. As though you are in prison with them. And, and those who are mistreated. And so it's a call to sympathy. This was a, a big act. Uh, it was an important thing because when you went to visit someone in this condition, you were identifying with them. Here's this person that's been marginalized. Uh, they have been discredited. Uh, again, remember when we went to Hebrews chapter 10 and talked about that passage, it, it wasn't just about, uh, you know, hey, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, so you're going to jail. They were reproached. Hebrews chapter 10 says, which means really that they were that they were accused in a false way. So people were saying things that were nasty and ugly about these people, that they were saying that uh, awful things about them that made them look bad. And, and yet he's urging them, go and visit them anyway. So when you're going to visit them, uh, first of all, it was an act of caring for them because they needed to be cared for. They needed food and so forth. But it was also you identifying with them. We're not forgetting you just because the world despises you, just because everybody thinks that you're guilty of some crime, just because negative things are being said about you. We're not going to turn our back on you. Instead, we're going to visit you. We're going to care for you. So rather than insulate yourself from their shame, you're to bear it with them as, as though in prison with them. 
I said it's a sympathetic love, and I think that's where I'm getting that at. It's as though it was you. That's to, to, to have sympathy means to feel with someone. What they're going through, you, you sort of put yourself in that place, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to, as though you are in prison with them. And those two things go hand, to, hand in hand, this brotherly love and, and sympathy. 1 Peter 3.8, the Apostle Peter says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. We're to suffer as one member of the body suffers. The whole body suffers. And again, remember what Jesus taught. Remember the picture of the, the final judgment day. And he said, I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And he says, then people are going to say, when did we see you sick and in prison and didn't visit you? And he says, in the least that you in, in, in that you did this to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we need to keep that in mind. We, we ought to be sympathetic toward one another. And again, as we come to a place in our culture where Christians will at times be wrongly accused of things, where, where our names may be smeared, where, where things are, are negatively said about us. Perhaps people will lose jobs. Uh, we don't need to turn our backs on them. We need to have the vibrant kind of loving community within this body that, that steps into that and, and is willing to identify with those people even though it will cost us socially. Even though people will say, you go to that church, you go, you know, those people, you, that's who you hang out with, right? Th those people are, are horrible people, right? We don't need to turn our backs on one another. We need to have that kind of sympathetic love. So, as we close this morning, we need to recognize that in an increasingly evil age, in which being a follower of Christ is going to cut you off from normal relations with the world, the Christian community must be a place of brotherly love. We must persevere in our love. We must welcome people into our homes as we would our family, and we must gladly identify with them in their suffering. May we pray that God would cultivate that kind of community in this church body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, and we are thankful that we can be counted as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, what an immense blessing that our Lord and Savior would own us in that way by calling us his brothers and sisters. We don't deserve that, God. And it is an immense blessing. God, that, that has been poured out upon us by your grace. And I pray that we would extend the same grace to others. I pray, Lord, within this church body especially, uh, that you would help us to count others as truly brothers and sisters. That that, that wouldn't be just a, a name that, that we uh, say to each other, but that it would really be how we think about and how we treat one another as brothers and sisters. God, help us to stand in, in these evil days. And, and I pray that even as the world is filled with hatred for each other and, and hatred for followers of Christ, uh, we pray that within this body that it would be an oasis, a, a place of love, a place 
where the, the houses and lands and brothers and fathers and sisters and mothers that are lost will be replaced a hundredfold. God, would you do that work in, in this congregation? And we just confess that we're not there. We, we confess that our, our sinful flesh keeps us from that. And so, God, help us to walk by your spirit that we may truly be a people of love. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.